Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with designer Gretchen Anderson. Gretchen talks about her work at great schools, designing for social good, and the inclusive nature of design. Enjoy the show. Hello, today I'm here with Gretchen Anderson, who is a designer with experience at an interesting list of employers, including Frog, Cooper, and most recently, Great Schools. She is the author of Designing for Social Impact, a free report from O'Reilly. She's also on the program committee for O'Reilly's first design conference and is moderating a panel on designing with data for social impact. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd like to start with just a little, um, well, it's, I find it a funny question, but I always get different answers. So I'm going to ask you, how do you define design? You know, it's interesting. I tend to avoid the whole um, define the damn thing conversation that comes up in our <laughs> world a lot. But, you know, I do feel that design is about finding and testing and sort of being able to hold a point of view on what people need and want, you know, whatever your mission or enterprise is. And being someone who can reconcile constraints into something awesome, not just sort of the sad compromise of everyone's democracy, (laughs) have the bravery and the um, sort of skills to hold that and sort of, you know, relentless passion and patience for refinement of an idea, Um, even the bad ones sometimes, you know, be able to go down an avenue and not get burned. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of all things that come up for me around design rather than a neat, you know, what it is. That's, well, it's, it sounds pragmatic, frankly. (laughs) Um, Great. Well, um, so next question for you is, how do you think design has changed since you entered the field? And maybe you could talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for uh, a very long time, sort of before it was even a, a thing, starting, you know, early multimedia and, and web. Um, and so I've seen the field get much more mature, obviously. There's better tools. Uh, we can get kind of better fit and finish than we could in the old days. <laughs> um, but, you know, 15 years of consulting at places like Cooper and Frog, I'm a self-taught designer and I really learned a lot from being at Cooper in sort of 98 to 2001 among a great group of designers and sort of years at Frog in the mid-2000s with Cordell Ratzloff and Jennifer Killian and sort of learning about the dedication it takes to make something that you're designing really awesome mm-hmm. about that success in the market above everything else. And so, you know, watching as consumers now seemingly understand and value design more broadly that's yeah, that, that's a great answer. Um, you you talk um, well about so great schools was probably your most recent gig, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about how design for public systems for social good is different from product design? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it yeah. isn't. Frankly, I mean, I, what are the similarities too? I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, great schools, I, I ended up at um, almost, you know, by some miraculous accident, like <laughs> it always seems to happen. Um, but, you know, it was really a mission-minded nonprofit work helping ca- parents get their kids a great education. And so it was the design and delivery of data and reviews and ratings about schools, but also tools and advice for parents to sort of support education at home. And um, bringing those together, I did sort of learn what feels different when you're in a a setting that isn't really doesn't have dollars as a bottom line or the only bottom line. Mm-hmm. It really comes out as you know, really having to think about who you're designing for as much more broad. You're, you might be designing for literally everyone, especially if you're doing something that's you know public, like literally governmental or you know like education. Mm-hmm. 
it's hard to really target your early adopters there because you might end up sort of adding to unfairness that you're trying to overcome. So you have to sort of really think through, you know, who's going to need this the most? What do they need? You've got to watch out for sort of those who might try to sabotage you. Uh, there's sort of the idea of like design for evil. Brandon Harris talks about of like having a persona that really is someone you want to, um, you know, outfox or stay ahead of. Right. In a way that maybe it doesn't happen in a more consumer um, product oriented situation. And sort of that ability to have the empathy for your users and make sure you're not doing something for someone but doing it with them and. Um, sort of bringing everyone together and sort of being that interface between often like big systems, whether they're healthcare systems or governmental mm -hmm. systems, the educational system that, you know, acknowledging that those institutions really need design as that translator, as that, you know, ambassador mm -hmm. to make them more friendly and accessible, useful. That's a, yeah, that's a great um, descriptor, the translator. It's interesting. How do you, uh, maybe there's no direct answer to this, but how do you measure success in a situation like that? Yeah, defining success is always kind of the hardest question. I, I think what I learned at great schools is you, you need to start with, well, what are we going to measure and, and how comfortable are we as that, you know, with that measurement, especially if it's going to be something you obtain quickly. It may not be the perfect Mm -hmm. you know, KPI, but you kind of have to have that conversation. It was at great schools, it was with the fortune of serving over half of America's families every year. So we had you know, a large number of users to watch what they did and to really understand, you know, what actions were they taking and not taking, and then really trying to bridge that to what was happening offline and, you know, thinking about is wait lists at better schools a good proxy for us doing the right thing, for us <laughs> helping to kids into better schools, you know, so you have those conversations of what, what you're going to look for at the end and then, you know, see, see if you can measure that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, dollars is always there because all of this costs something, but it becomes hard to quantify the work by dollars when you're doing something that's mission oriented. It's, you end up in this, but the value of X is priceless. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Well, Beyond beyond measurement, what were some of the lessons that you learned or challenges unique to your work there? You know, I think really being able to understand how psychology and that kind of designing for behavior really applies when you're trying to change what someone's default position is or what the easiest thing to do is. You're mm -hmm. trying to get someone to take an extra step for an, an intangible reward. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was really interesting to, to learn more. We did a partnership with Hope Lab. Um, in the South Bay, they kind of specialize in behavioral design and research and, you know, really helped us kind of wrap our heads around, you know, deeply understanding what someone's barriers and motivations are so that you can kind of reconcile them more directly. You know, there's something that I think de designers do instinctively, but it was really great to get to see that done with a level of rigor and, um, you know, just kind of informative of like, yeah, you can't take it for granted that you can really... Um, help someone do something different if you put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned earlier that you um, you sort of fell in, you know, let me paraphrase, into the, um, the situation and working at great schools. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about sort of how you arrived there and what advice you might have for designers who are looking to apply their skills to, to a larger societal mission-based um, you know, situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, early in my career, I did 
sort of more large-scale web development, project management, program management, and then I got into doing design work. And so it was sort of a natural next step for me to think about what would happen if I was really doing product management and design together and bringing the design thinking to the product planning and execution process. And at great schools, I found an organization that was progressive enough. I had some history with some people there um, you know, to give me a chance to do that. And, um, you know, I learned a lot about how to, um, you know, how like the great parts of being a designer and being really optimistic, you know, you, there's also this reason that other people can have a more pragmatic view, which is they're just trying to mitigate risk and, you know, use resources wisely. And so it was kind of great to be able to bring that all together and, you know, to think about the whole product and not just think about design as one aspect of that. And I find that, you know, for people who want to get into this work, I've always been sort of driven to deeper questions than, you know, what's a consumer gadget. Mm-hmm. And uh, education is one very ripe field. Healthcare is another one where there's lots of opportunity, even in the for-profit space, to be doing really mission-minded work. I, there's also places like Catapult Design or Big Tomorrow or Exigy. I think those last two are in San Francisco. Um, Catapult is in the Midwest somewhere. Where there are consultancies that are really going after mission-minded work. And, you know, I think there's a lot of room, especially for younger designers who maybe want to learn that kind of work to think about consulting as a place to do that as well. Interesting. Wow. So there's definitely seems to be a, a larger push towards that. I mean, I think maybe even five years ago, you didn't hear much about it. Um, I certainly think that what the United States Digital Services and Dana Chisnell and then the mm-hmm. ATF group with people like Russ Unger are doing is kind of making it sexy to work for the government. <laughs> and that's, uh, they're a large employer. They certainly need a lot of design. I think, you know, they talk about getting government to do for itself again, which I think is a really compelling promise to someone who might be a maker type and, you know, doesn't want to be jaded. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of that has come together um, to, sh- to give people a wider lens on what they could be designing and making. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is interesting because you're seeing a lot of um, well, well-known well designers join those ranks um, and really try to champion the cause. So that's great. Um, I'm going to flip the question a bit and ask you, um, for designers who want to make a bigger impact within their organizations, do you have any advice for them, uh, whether they're at you know, a nonprofit or a for-profit organization? I think a lot of the skills that designers have are very much needed in management, higher up in organizations, whatever the role one could conceive of. You know, it's important to recognize that skills that designers have around facilitating conversations, bringing people together around a specific idea, not just sort of abstractions. The idea of kind of being a team player coach that you can really get different disciplines to work together because all of us know it takes you know, many, many different skills to design and develop something. And all of that is really something that is, is needed as you move up in an organization. It's good to keep your eye on that. I think it's important to not be a design diva or whatever label, like, you know, <laughs> forget the color palette conversations, stop trying to make everyone you know, understand the craft of design any more than they want to, you know, and kind of just take your seat at the table, really, instead of, you know, Greg Petroff talks about designers can be a little bit paranoid by nature. It's like it kind of comes with the territory. (laughs) There can be a lot of like us and them. And so I think it's important to really, you know, drop that 
mm-hmm. way of thinking. You know, not everyone does what you do, but that does not mean that you aren't part of a larger ecosystem that you want to foster everyone's, you know, that, that creative part of bringing everyone together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Aaron Irizarry, um, where he said something along the lines of at NASDAQ, they try, designers try to make sure that they're inclusive of, mm. of non-designers. And I thought, wow, isn't that a flip on on the, the way that people think. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, but with that becomes, you know, a lot of understanding um, and, and a lot of power, frankly, because I think that's when sort of the walls are lowered and people really start to to figure out how to collaborate. Absolutely. Well, and there's something so essentially optimistic about design and designers. And so I think, you know, maybe how do we ourselves learn to channel that energy and optimism and help others to to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, kind of a funky question again. I'm, I'm curious as to what you think when you look at the future of design, what you think the next big challenge is for design as a discipline. I mean, we've talked um, or there's been a bunch written around responsibility and ethics as well as education of designers. And obviously uh, there's a greater and greater demand um, for designers. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you think are the next big set of or a challenge? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't know enough about the pipeline. It seems to me like there are more and more ways for people to become a designer, everything from actual programs at, you know, CMU and SCAD and whatnot to the general assemblies. And, and I love the idea that you can just kind of have a little bit of education, just enough education and go get some experience. And that that apprenticeship thing I think is where a lot of the learning actually happens and so Hmm. um, I'm again optimistic about being able to get more and more designers I see more and more people understanding what it is and being attracted to it and I think we have a couple of on-ramps there I I think our challenge is going to be around sort of I I love that there's still new technology coming out that there's still you know like augmented reality plus wearables like Mm -hmm. there's there's challenges that are going to be whole new ways of people using devices. A friend of mine just told me about um, PopSlate, which hmm. is an iPhone case with an e-ink screen on the back that sort of opens up some obviously fun, but also kind of interesting opportunities of like, what kind of information could you display there and how would that change how, you know, in a way that isn't the watch. Hmm. So I think that we still need as designers to be able to grow and not maybe even become more invisible like there's a lot of voice ui coming on and we kind of cling to our visualness as designers our buttons and affordances and (laughs) how are we gonna respond to the challenge of these proliferating devices of different you know modalities and um you know i think there's a lot to be learned there that internet of things is you know like almost a non user experience experience Mm -hmm. and uh, that, you know, I'm I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen to human interactions. Right, right. Well, it is interesting. You mentioned invisible and it's, I'm curious how, you know, how you or colleagues of yours, um, friends of yours view things like voice UI. I think voice UI brings up a couple of different reactions in people. One is sort of, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to teach everybody all of the commands Versus people who are like, yeah, technology is going to get so good that we'll have natural language. And I, I don't know enough to know which is true. But, you know, I think as designers, again, there's sort of a two reactions. One is one of being overwhelmed. One, one is one of being 
intrigued. Mm-hmm. I know um, Ian Swinson has just gone to speak easy, and I've got to believe that he's got some interesting things hmm. coming that you know has to deal with that very real. How how do I know what word unlocks <laughs> what? And how do I make sure that there's no mistakes and um, you know. Star Trek set us up with this sort of paradigm of computer, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is not how it works. Um, so how will it work? Right, right. It'll be interesting to see. It is. I mean, it's still so early. Um, but it's it's an interesting, com- you know, comment that you make. They're intrigued versus overwhelmed. I think everybody has a mix <laughs> of the two from time to time. Um, one, one final question for you today is... Um, you know, you talked about a few things there, but what are some of the other people and projects that you find interesting? What's what's grabbing your attention these days? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I mentioned the 18F and the digital services folks. Like, there's a lot of cause-minded and design-minded orgs like them, like Civic Eagle, which is sort of a pop-up hmm. local organizing platform. There's Nation Builder. They're starting to be, you know, almost like startups in this space who are taking a really you know, a really modern sensibility about networks of platforms and portability of causes and not trying to be monolithic. Um, I also think that like Christy Tillman, who's at Society of Grownups, I don't think it's a nonprofit, but it's really about how do you help people keep themselves on top of personal goals around money and, and, mm-hmm. and more. And, you know, she really comes at that with a very design, a modern design sensibility of not just what the look and feel is, but her approach to use data to you know, really drive the outcomes. I think it's pretty impressive. Mm, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, and thanks for having me. Gretchen can be reached through her Twitter handle at G-R-E-T-A-R-E-D. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode. <laughs>